This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information on Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. The crucifixion and the resurrection are past. The disciples have experienced the low of the depression after the crucifixion and the height of ecstasy as they witnessed physically the risen Lord visiting with them. The Bible tells us that Jesus spoke about the kingdom with them over the period of weeks after he was raised from the dead, periodically coming in and teaching the disciples in his resurrected, glorified body. And uh, you know, the longer I serve the Lord, the more I recognize that you have basically two groups of people in the world, people who are of the world, right, and people who are of the kingdom of God. And it's God's great joy to transition people from the world into the kingdom of God. And uh, just to totally appreciate that. Speaking of the kingdom of God, we're going to uh, go on a missions trip on July 23rd and go through the 30th to uh, Honduras, visiting with uh, Naomi and uh, going to be working up in the mountains. And it's going to be a rough trip, but not as rough as Peru. Right, Rick? Not as rough as Peru? Promise? Okay, so uh, anyway, the cost is $1,500, so if you'd like to be a part of that trip, uh, then uh, please see Rick afterwards, write your name on his list, and uh, like Santa Claus, he'll be perusing the list to see who's naughty and nice, and, uh, but we're going to put together a team to go down there, so I encourage you to do that. Only a couple weeks until that money is due, right? Middle of May. So I uh, encourage you to, to be a part of that. Anyway and uh, bring the kingdom of God to another country. Disciples uh, in our text today are becoming more and more kingdom-minded as they sit at the feet of Jesus. And so they are um, learning about the kingdom. They're carnal in the sense... Jesus often rebuked them for their carnality. He often talked to them about the dullness, the, the inability to comprehend things of the Spirit, and so as Jesus is coming in, and I, I don't really know what that looks like. How many of you would have liked to be there the day Jesus was doing the Kingdom of God seminar? That would have been amazing, huh? And I don't know if it, Jesus just kind of poked his head through the wall with his glorified body and came in and said, hey, the Kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, and then kind of they all went, oh, I remember when Jesus said that before, you know, and, and they just talked about it. Amongst, I don't know exactly how that happened, but uh, over the period of time, Jesus is appearing to them and showing uh, them, uh, teaching them from Scripture and uh, telling them important things like, like don't do any ministry, don't preach the Word of God, don't heal the sick, don't do anything. It's hard to imagine those words coming out of Jesus' mouth, isn't it? But he said that, don't do any of this stuff until you're filled with the Spirit. So this time, and in, in the earlier service, I was talking about why would God take 50 days, five and a half weeks? Why would he take the, 
those 50 days before he would send his Holy Spirit to people. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, they're kind of left. Jesus leaves them sort of hanging, you know. And uh, so my, the only thing I can say is that i got to believe that there are things that are worth waiting for. Right? Things that are worth waiting for. Um, and so many of us have prayer requests. Some of, many of us have the most important prayer requests we're praying is a prayer request that we've prayed many times before, right? Salvation of a loved one or, you know, the healing of a hardened heart or that kind of stuff, you know. And so we've prayed that for a long time. And it's worthy. We're, it's a worthy request to just keep asking and asking and knocking and seeking and, and, and pursuing God because we know it's worthwhile. The other side of that is I, I, I know that if you go to a restaurant and you order a steak, you say, I want a steak, give me a T-bone, and they come back to the table in five minutes with a T-bone. That that's probably not a very good T-bone, right? Don't you, don't you kind of believe that's probably not a very good t- Like that may have been cooked previously and just been sitting under a red light somewhere back there. In the- On the other hand, uh, some things are worth waiting for, right? Like when you order a nice big steak, and it takes a little while to get there. Things happen on the inside of you that make you excited, right? Things happen on the inside. You're like, I can't wait for that to get here. I can't. I, I want to know. Uh, uh, I want to. I want to experience that. I want. I, so there's some things that happen on the inside of us, and some things happen on the inside of us when we're praying and we're seeking and we're waiting on God. There's there's things that happen on the inside. We think we begin to prioritize our life. We we begin to say, this thing is not worth having in my view because this thing is so important to me, right? And this thing, I must, I must, it's just a distraction. I'm not going to pay attention to that anymore because this request that I have, this thing I'm waiting on from God is so all-important, and we begin to prioritize it pretty soon. There have been times in my life when, when I just prayed about one thing. You know, even though I know I should be praying about all these other things, the one thing was looming so large in my my life, that I just, pers- I just wanted that more than anything. And so I think that some of this is happening, and I think that's one of the reasons. Another reason why is because God has his own unique, specialized timing, and he's going to line that up with, the, with Shabbat, with, with the, the Feast of um, Passover, or, or Pentecost. And so um, all this is playing into this. And so uh, we're going to go read... I'm going to read 41 verses in, in the scripture today, and it's, uh, it's the longest, I think, sermon that we have in the New Testament, that, uh, and it's the first sermon. And so, um, Peter's first sermon. So, it's the story of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? 
Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them each telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others said mocking, they are filled with new wine. But then Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and even they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn to him an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, for God did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the brothers, and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's an awesome story 
of the very first sermon. Amen? Strange timing, this Pentecost. Why does the timing of the Lord come and, and try to draw this in? Well, Pentecost is the wheat harvest, and so it was one of the biggest harvests in Israel, and because they made bread and stuff out of the wheat. And so uh, the wheat harvest was a massive, uh, massive day, and in the, in the countryside, people were busy working. They were you know, rapidly uh, working the fields trying to harvest the wheat, but in the cities, there wasn't, of course, that, that same uh, agrarian uh, culture, and so they, they were, they were kind of just celebrating the, the, the holiday. The, the holiday of, of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, is the, is the holiday that, in which they celebrate the harvest, all harvest, and they give thanks to God for the great harvest that he's about to give them and he had, that, that they've already received. And so in this time, they're, they're giving thanks for this harvest. It's also the time, ironically, that these days that uh, the uh, Jewish people celebrate the giving of the law. So there's a tie-in there as well. The great harvest of the church is going to happen on Pentecost, begin happening on Pentecost. And also, whereas the law was given and it's celebrated on Pentecost, so now um, the, the people of God no longer live trying to fulfill the law, but rather they now walk in the Spirit, and by walking in the Spirit, they fulfill the law. And so uh, the, this is ancient symbolism that we see here too, and it's tied into this, this whole thing. So the timing of the Lord is, is on this, and God sends this, this thing to, together. Then this, when it happens, the Holy Spirit comes down, there's this strange phenomena. There are the tongues of fire, the sound of the wind blowing. It doesn't really say that the wind was blowing. It just says there's a, a sound of the wind blowing. The voice of the wind is blowing in that place. And so they, they hear that noise. They see the, the, these, these phenomena over the top of their head, uh, the flickering of lights, the, fl the flames of fire. That's what they would have known that as. And so that, that begins to happen. Those, no other place when the Holy Spirit falls in the New Testament is that ever seen. Those, are, those, those things are not ever replicated anyplace else when other people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Not in Acts chapter 8, not in Acts chapter 10, not in Acts chapter 19. No place else are those things, uh, those phenomena seen. There is phenomena that is repeated every time someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the, the, this gift of tongues, the glossolalia that happens there. This is static speech of prophecy and, and uh, praise that's, that's, that's given to them. And uh, it's given a kind of a divine language of praise and prayer and prophecy. And it's all there, it happens all, all together. And the scripture tells us that, that uh, this happens when the Holy Spirit gives utterance. And so the Holy Spirit, by my, by my experience, Holy Spirit gives a, a syllable, and, and then by faith you speak that syllable out. So you can imagine these guys are all gathered in, the, in this, and the, uh, the Lord gives somebody the first, I don't know who the first guy was, uh, whoever the first guy was had that first <laughs> syllable. So um, the Lord uh, gave me this little illustration this morning. Uh, would you play along with me here this morning? Uh, when I was sitting on the couch having a cup of coffee, the Lord asked me to, to do it like this. So I'll try to explain this to you. So would you repeat after me? Eh. Now that's pretty harmless. I, every one of us can do that, right? So let's do it again. Eh. De toi. Cinq, uh, quatre, cinq. Six. Sept, huit, neuf, dix. Now, um, none of us in here 
no French, but we just counted to 10 in French, right? Or, oh, wait, does anybody, you know French, don't you? Creole, right? Yeah, somebody else know French? Yeah, okay, so a couple Francaises. Okay, so, so maybe, they didn't, maybe they didn't pick up on what was going to be said when I said, eh, you know. But at, at, not too long after that, at these folks who understood, but you were just repeating syllables, right? Just syllables as they are being revealed to you. You're repeating after them, and so that, and that's what this is like. So on that day, they're all there. They don't have Pastor Dave up there telling them what to say. This is an inner voice of the Holy Spirit that's telling them what to say, and they begin to mimic the, the, the sounds that are being made on the inside of their spirit man. And as they're doing that, they just, the Holy Spirit begins to overwhelm them, and they begin in this tongue speak. Now, the difference here is every single person in here, other than you were listening to me, and not the Holy Spirit, the uh, other difference is that every person in here was saying the same thing. According to the scripture, every person had different syllables on the inside of their heart, and they began to each speak out different. So it was a cacophony of, of noise, just, a, a, just an, a noisy group of people all saying what they felt like saying on the inside, what they were being instructed by the Holy Spirit to say at the same time. And uh, most of us would say, what a heinous noise that is. We don't want to hear any part of that, you know, because it's just, but that's not what happened. What happened is people began to hear with their own ears. They began to hear with their own ears the voice of the Spirit of God speaking, you know, speaking uh, through them and telling these amazing signs and wonders, these, these wonders that were being declared to everyone around them. And so this, this, they, they're hearing it in their own tongues. Um, and so all these people are all, and, and, and the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit comes on them at that day because he has to get them from all the way over here where they started off. These are just fresh new baby believers who, they've walked with Jesus and heard his teaching and that kind of stuff, but there's no New Testament. And so there's nothing for them to read yet. And so they're, they're in that position, and, they ha and he has to get them all the way over to the other side of their maturity and has to do, be able to do it quickly to the place where they can stand up and be the voice of the Spirit of God, the voice of the, of the witness and the testimony of Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 tells us that this Holy Spirit comes upon them to empower them, to make them into the witnesses that they are supposed to be so they can be living witnesses. In fact, we hear Peter say that exact same thing. He said, all these things we are witnesses to. You notice that uh, Peter begins to testify to the resurrection of Jesus from the very beginning now. He testifies where once he was hiding and running for his life. And uh, Peter specifically was ashamed of his acknowledgement of the disciples and so to the fact that he ended up going off fishing. So when Jesus returns and he says, go tell my disciples and Peter, he has to include Peter in the disciples because Peter is not including himself in the, in the disciples. So uh, Jesus, uh, you, and so the irony here is that guy who had abandoned Jesus, that guy who was unfaithful, who ran away and left him at the cross with a bunch of women, that guy who denied him when a little girl confronted him, that guy who's been hiding for his life, now filled with the Holy Spirit, now comes out emboldened, and he suddenly has this Holy Spirit boldness on the inside, and he's the one who stands up and begins to preach. Isn't that amazing? If you think about what the Holy Spirit does to people, we've seen this, you know, Pastor Josh was talking about kids at camp. I've seen this numbers of times. 
for 17 years, I took the kids to camp. Um, and, and we would go take the kids to camp. And then in the evenings, they have these you know, altar services, just times for the kids to come spend time at the altar. It's one of the most amazing things in my life, to just come to the altar and, and just pray with young kids, you know, whatever they're seeking God for. Some of it's, you know, things at, back at home, but some of it's, you know, grandma's ill or, uh, and, and then the Holy Spirit begins to speak to them and you watch their lives change, change really instantaneously as the Holy Spirit begins to work in their life. They, their lives become dramatically impacted. Um, and, and like uh, Pastor Josh said, it's, it's not that they get a junior portion of the Holy Spirit. They get the full-blown Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit comes on them, and, and sometimes they're, they're, they're uh, weeping and, and, and uh, seeing kids drop over like a sack of potatoes there and uh, you know, just laying out and, and the Holy Spirit working on people, shaking, kids are shaking. and uh, you know, It's just an amazing thing, and camp, camp is a great thing. But um, that happens to every person who comes to the Lord and get, gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't drop over like a sack of potatoes. I didn't, I didn't have any of that experience. But I, what happened to me was I was in a worship service and had uh, previously just said, okay, anything you have for me, God. And in that process of that time, the Holy Spirit came upon me, and I heard syllables coming out of my mouth, which I immediately shut up right away because... I was completely in control of it, but I, was, but I heard it come out, and then I clamped down on it because it didn't seem like the appropriate stuff to be coming out of my mouth, and I was kind of, I hadn't really, I was, it, was, it seemed weird to me, you know, it seemed weird to me. How many of you, the first time you spoke in tongues, it, it, was, uh, it was weird to you? Yeah. People are like, oh, I don't know if I should seek that because it's so weird. Yes, it is. It's a strange phenomenon. No one else is doing it, you know. If you but the, that's what I'm saying. There, the more we look at life, the older I get, the more I recognize that there are people who are people of the world and people of the kingdom. And if we're going to choose to be the people of the kingdom, then we have to be all the way in. We have to fully commit to the, to the things of the kingdom. We have to fully commit to that. That, mean, that means we have to allow God to do whatever he needs to do to get me from being a person who's obsessed with the things of the world to a person who's obsessed with the things of the kingdom. Somebody says, well, does that, doesn't, that obsession doesn't sound healthy. You're right, it probably isn't. It gets people martyred and killed, and, and people are, they lose friends because they preach the, you know, if you're trying to win friends and, you know, and... Uh, be important and validated by other people, this is not the life for you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then eventually all you care about is making a difference in somebody's life. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit comes upon us. See, I have to tell myself it's deeper than where we are at today. When I'm preaching to you, I recognize I'm not preaching just to you. But I preach to you understanding that there are generations of people whose lives will be changed for the word that's being preached today. I, there are generations, not just for you, but it's for you and your children and your children's children. And, and I, I recognize that, and, and even Peter says that, you know, this Holy Spirit is for generations to come, for anyone whom the Lord our God calls. This is, this is for everyone. And, and we have to begin to minister as people who are obsessed with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God isn't bound by time. So when I recognize I'm, I am who I am, I am 
here, called by God, got snatched by the Holy Spirit out of a life of drug abuse and, and rebellion, snatched by, by the Holy Spirit from that life because my grandmother bowed her knees to Jesus and, and began to intercede for her drug addict grandchild. You see, we have to recognize that the kingdom of God doesn't know the boundaries that we know, that the same kind of boundaries are. In fact, if we understand... If you understand that everywhere you go and every person you talk to, you're talking to generations, that there will be preachers that come up in the second and third generation of the very people that you're talking to, that you will be children that are saved from a life of abuse and drug addiction, children that will be saved out of, out of horrific home lives simply because somebody bowed their knee, knee and gave, it to, gave their life to Jesus. Then you recognize that, that this is more than just about me speaking to you so that your soul can be saved. Quite frankly, it's way more important than you. It's about generations to come. It's about the fathers and the, and, the, and, the, and the mothers to come. It's about all these things that are happening. So understanding, and, and so it's, it's, really, it's really naive to think that we could do that and still be obsessed with the world. God knows that you can't be, so there has to be a change on the inside. So God says the only way I can do this is to baptize you, to completely submerge you into the realm of the Holy Spirit and bring you into a place where you are in absolute obedience to, to what, what God can do in your life, and not change everything about radically reorient and reprioritize everything in your life and move everything, things that are in the way, move those things away, throw some garbage out in your life, say, that's nice, but that's not important right now, and God begins to reprioritize your life, and the Holy Spirit now begins to give you marching orders. Those that are led by the Spirit are those that are the, the sons of God, and so we listen to the voice of the Spirit, and God begins to call us out so that we can do the things that God has called us to do because we now begin to operate by divine priority not by human priority. We now begin to operate by the power of the Holy Spirit. We now begin to think things that are by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, we live in a world where we can barely, barely keep it together in our flesh, right? We barely can keep ourselves together. We need God's help to do that. The Holy Spirit comes to empower us so that we can be people who are empowered spiritually to be able to handle the spiritual hardships of this world, to be able to keep standing for Jesus. Listen, when, you're, when you are a stand as a follower of Jesus, all hell breaks loose in your life. People, people who you don't even know hate you. That's the truth. You know why? Because in this world that preaches tolerance, they're tolerant about everything except the name of Jesus. You never hear anybody, growing up in school, I never heard anybody say, Buddha, damn it. No, no one ever got angry and cried out and used the, uh, the uh, name of Krishna in vain. Right? You see, because there's spiritual warfare against the name of Jesus, because the enemy doesn't quake at those other names. So he has to, de he has to defrag the, the, the power of the name of Jesus in order for us to... And so we have to have spiritual strength. You are a fool, friend, if you think you can do it on your own. You will constantly find yourself with your nose in the dirt. You will constantly find yourself being stepped on by the powers of, the, of evil as you try to bear witness in the, in the natural about things that are supernatural in origin. It just doesn't simply, it simply doesn't make sense. And I'm not sure why we want to do that, except that we, we, are more, we are more in love with the phenomena of the world. We are more in touch. I, I was talking with somebody 
after the first service, and we were talking about, they asked me an interesting question. After I was well, no longer had, you know, uh, sickness on my mind, did I feel disjointed? And there is a certain sense in which you become very tied to your body. I like my body. I mean, I don't like it. There are improvements I'd like to make in my body, let's put it that way, but, you know. But, I mean, I like my body because it's mine. You know, if you, if you do something wrong to my body, I, I'll be the first one to tell you about it. You know, my mind will tell you, it will tell my voice to tell you to, you know, if you step on my foot, I'll tell you, you're on my foot. Get off my foot, right? I get aggravated. You know, that'd be, I, I, it's easy for me to get aggravated. How much it's easy for you to get aggravated? Right, right. The spirit never aggravates you, does it? Uh, you, you do get kind of churned up in the spirit. Anyway, uh, the long, uh, I'm just thinking out loud here. So you get in a place where, where you, you kind of get separated from the life of God in a sense because you become so attached to the things in the natural. Um, I know the same thing happens when you're on, uh, on painkillers and things. You become kind of desensitized to the things of the spirit because there's a numbing process that goes on. And it's not unnatural for that to happen to people who are on medications. doesn't mean you're not right with God or anything like that. But you see, we're so, there's, so, such a, there's no hard line between spirit and body. There's an overlap, right? If your body is having a bad day, you know, ladies, you got up, you put your hair, you know, did all your hair, and it just, you did it three times, and, it's, and this is what it came out to be, you know, then... Uh, then, then you're like, dear Jesus, you know, your worship is just a little less fired up, you know, because you're like, you're just like, you know, God knows I love him, but, you know, I'm just not being as, as you know, I just don't feel like I'm at my best. I mean, it doesn't take very much to, to really knock you off your game, does it? I mean, somebody cuts you off as you're leaving church, all your sanctification flies out the window, right? <laughs> Yeah, all your righteousness is left at the altar here going, you know, kind of wobbling around up here, and you're like out there, and your flesh. So we live in a world where, where we have to have spiritual empowerment. Spiritual empowerment is absolutely crucial and necessary for us to, to move on. And we have the physicality of our body. We have uh, the world that's against us. We have the, uh, death, hell, and the grave that are working against us. We have the lies of the enemy. We have a seductive culture around us that's trying to woo us back into, into the place where we once were. And, you know, oftentimes people fall back into that, you know, because they don't even realize they're drifting. You know, <clears throat> when you're in a river and and all you have to do is stop paddling. It doesn't mean that you know, you're still in the river. It just means that you're, you start going backwards. You know, you got to keep, because we're going against the flow, friends, and that's, that's the way it works. And so the, the Holy Spirit comes with this very purpose, to bring this empowerment to the church, to bring the church there. And you notice right away when the Holy Spirit comes upon, two groups automatically rise up. The one, the one people, we hear the, we hear the wonders of God in our own language. There's that group, right? Then there's the other group. They're all drunk. Right? Right away, we see those same two groups we've been talking about. We see those same two groups, the, the, those that receive it and those that don't receive it, the, those, those that uh, uh, accept it for what it is and those who don't accept it for what it is. It's always going to be the case. That's the way it's always been. So P Peter begins to, to, to speak, and when he gets up to speak, the first thing he says is, what you're seeing is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, which... You know, it's, it's remarkable that this guy 
didn't have this, this knowledge. This has to be something he got out of the Jesus seminar that he was in, right? It has to be something that he learned, that Jesus taught, that there was a coming a, t- a time and a day when the Holy Spirit would come and empower all of God's children, all, of, all, all the people of God. There wouldn't be a certain class of people that's used. There wouldn't be clergy and laity. There wouldn't be a certain class of people, but rather every single person would be empowered to be prophetically used by God. Every single person would be given a gift by God. Every single person would have these spiritual gifts available to them. You know, at one point, um, there's a story in the Old Testament where uh, too many people were prophesying, according to some people, and they said, came to Moses, and they said, everybody's prophesying, and he said, listen, I wish that the whole, all of the Lord's church was prophets. Well, that's exactly what happens on the day of Pentecost. Every single person gathered in that room is now empowered by the Holy Spirit. Every single person who's set themselves out, 120, set themselves out in that place for the very specific purpose to pursue the Lord. And so now this empowerment comes upon them according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and that they, they're empowered and now they can do uh, the, the miracles. Now they can begin to believe God in faith. Now they can begin to uh, believe God for signs and wonders. Now they can believe that they're there is something else. But more than that, more than power, there's other things that, are, that, that the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit comes to equip the church to bring these demonstrative gifts into the church so that the church can be uh, used in gifts of prophecy and gifts of healing and gifts of the uh, signs and wonders, the miraculous. All these things, are, the Holy Spirit gives those gifts for, to the church because the church must exist with spiritual power. The church must exist with spiritual power. Just like the individuals of the church must, the church must exist with spiritual power. And then the Holy Spirit begins to work character on the inside of those people because character is the cradle out of which the gifts uh, are, the character is the cradle where the gifts are held. And, and so now it begins to work humility. What, what good would it do if we, if we step into the gifts, lay hands on somebody, they get healed, and suddenly we go, look what I did! We defeat the entirety of, the, of giving the gospel and the glory to Jesus by our own prideful uh, uh, assuming of the glory. And so, so the, the character of the fruit of the Spirit is being worked on the inside of us. And freedom from who we used to be, the condemnation, the law of sin and death, all that kind of stuff has to be worked in our life. And so we begin to find the freedom of that. We begin to distance ourselves. We begin to walk without shame like we sang today. The simplicity of the gospel is that your life will be radically changed. As you believe God, the more you believe God, the further you step away from this life that's earthbound and the more you become more more heavenly minded. You say, well, I wouldn't want to be so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good. You don't understand. You're no earthly good until you're heavenly heavenly minded. See, every... It's a, it's a dime a dozen to find somebody who's obsessed with the things of the earth. You can meet them at every bus stop you have ever gone to. But to find somebody whose mind is set on heaven, to find somebody who's, who's, whose soul is, is dedicated and given over to the Lord, who's fully, com- Lord, everything that you have for me, I want that. You see, when the church gets like that, then it's unstoppable. The Holy Spirit comes to empower and to equip and then to ed- educate us, to bring back to our remembrance all the things that Jesus taught us, to bring us refresh revelation about the things that he's taught us, to give us direction on about where we should go in the future. 
and the revelation of where we should go in the future to enable us to pray. He allows us the ability to pray and to speak and, and speak to God in such a way that we know exactly what we're praying, when we, even when we don't know exactly how we should pray. We, we, we are given that by the Holy Spirit. And then all of this is happening, and it entices the bystanders. That's what we see happen in Acts 2. All the bystanders immediately are drawn to this. I want to know about this thing. I, want to, I see this. I want to know what's going on here. And as the, all that is happening, we see that God, according to Peter, he says to us that the Spirit coming is, shows us that Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the life of Jesus, everything that Jesus said has been vindicated because God is allowing the Holy Spirit to come upon the church and those who follow Jesus. And not only is he telling us that that's happened, but he's saying that that means that the sacrifice that Jesus laid on the cross for us has been accepted by God, that none of us ever have to walk in the, the being bound up in, the, in our sin, or we can walk in freedom, and we can walk free from the law of sin and death, and we can know that we're free in Jesus. They, the crowd immediately says, what must we do to be saved? Uh, that's a good sermon, man. When you can get people to the point where they start shouting out, what must I do to be saved? And Peter says, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, right? Make a public confession. Demonstrate to the world that you recognize that you are earthly bound, and you're bound up by, see, that song we sang about relinquishing our spirit of religion. Did you, were you singing that song? I was singing that song. Relinquishing our spirit of religion is all that's, Religion is earthly bound. Religion is candle lighting. Religion is doing things. Religion is, is making, making ourselves, when we first get the gospel of grace, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? You, first somebody tells you, no, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is accept Jesus, and his righteousness covers all your unrighteousness, and you are so overwhelmed with that. You are just so, oh, thank God, because I, I, there's no way I could ever do it, right? And then, and then immediately then you, you start trying to make yourself righteous. That's what discipleship is. Try to live my life a righteous way. Try to walk in righteousness. You stumble along the path, but you still try to do it. And it doesn't take very long before now you come to the Lord and you're no longer dependent upon the faith in the gospel and the grace that you, you once came to the Lord in. Now you come to him and you go, Lord, I, I, you know, here I am. I, you know, I gave 10% today. and you know, Well, 9.85, you know, but whatever. And you, and you say... You say, Lord, I, you know, I, I, here I am, I'm standing, and you begin to stand before the Lord in your own righteousness. And God has to break that down, and, we, and our life goes, goes over and again. So we have people who, who are very emotional, and they come before the Lord sometimes on the basis of grace, but many times they come based on whether or not they feel right. But you do this. Every person in this room does this. Every person. What should you do when you sin? What should you do? You should run to Jesus. Where forgiveness is full and free and restoration can happen, happen in your life. And spiritual restoration. Every one of us in this place know the answer to that question. Every one of us can experience that freedom immediately as soon as we sin. But that's not what we do. That's not what we do. If you sin on a Saturday night, you don't come to church on Sunday morning. Why? Well, you're hungover or whatever, but you're also hiding from God. 
You're like Adam and his dumb fig leaf. <laughs> you're, just, you're out there hiding behind your fig leaf like God won't, and you won't, you won't come back to church until you feel better about yourself. And then finally you come to church, you go, hey, brother, how you doing? Praise the Lord. How's things going? Good, you tell everybody. Liar. Things aren't good. You're just hidden your sin. And you know what? God is content to let you hide in your sin. Because he knows you get deeper and deeper and deeper until one day you bite it. You get a mouthful of dirt. And when you get a mouthful of dirt, you come up, everyone knows it. Why don't we just run to Jesus? Because when we come to him, we forget. We always come in a place of grace. I heard myself pray this the other day. I said, Lord, I said surprised. There's a surprise in my voice as I'm praying this prayer. And then it was... You know, it's like I was a third person there in the room, but it was just me and Jesus and me, I guess. I don't know who, two of me and Jesus. <clears throat> and I said to the Lord, Lord, I will never be righteous enough. And then the other me said, no kidding. That's a theological me. Theological me said, no kidding. You knew that. You know, but, the, but you see, where I'm at, I was trying to live a life to glorify God. And I fail. We all fail. We can't beat ourselves up for the failure. We have to go to the place where the healing is. And it happens to be Jesus. So I want to please Jesus, but I have to come to him with my imperfections. It's uncomfortable for all of us, isn't it? So, okay, that was for free. That's just like I'm just telling you what's going on in my heart right here. But coming to the revelation of that we're, we can continue to walk in grace. We are free to continue to walk in grace. You are free this morning. If you know Jesus, you're free from your sin. Well, you, if you say, well, honestly, Pastor, I still dabble in some stuff. Well, stop it. Stop it. I'm, I'm not saying you, can, you should keep doing that, but what I'm saying is when you fall, there's a difference between falling on the path and going for a walk in the woods, right? You know, it's like if you're on the path and you stumble and fall, you pick yourself up, you go, God help me, you know, make me better and help me not to do that again. You know, I don't want to keep doing the same stupidity over and over again. And then you walk and quit beating yourself up. Amen. You know, oftentimes God's forgiven us weeks ahead of the time when we start feeling good about ourselves. We just have to, God's forgiveness is full and free. If we knew the forgiveness of God, we would, we would recognize that that has to be infectious in our preaching. So, what must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. In other words, stand up, take a stand for Jesus, and fully commit to this life. What happens then, it's full and free, what happens is you just say, I'm going to live for the Lord now. I, I need your help, God. And immediately, God begins to do things in your life to Take those, those things out of your life. Now, sometimes we take them out. I took out scores of albums, put them in the alley, some of which I'd buy back now if I could. But, uh, but I was fully sold out to Jesus. You know, I didn't want to, you know, there's uh, probably 25 or 64, even I don't know what the song is about. Uh, uh, I would probably buy that album back, you know, the, the Chicago album. But the, I, I was sold out, you know. It was like, it's all Jesus. I didn't want to go back that way. And to be honest, you know, sometimes I hear that music, even though it's not corrupting my soul, it still brings me back to, 
to where I was. You know, I can remember that chick I was with when I used to listen to Steppenwolf Magic Carpet Ride. Oh, I mean, so anyway. Uh, anyway, so I think what we have to be careful, and I was determined at that time to not allow that stuff to hinder my walk with Jesus. And I was ruthless. And I cut off everything. Cut off connections to old friends who were pulling me down. You know, I remember sitting there telling them, yeah, telling these guys, I don't get high, sitting in a circle as they're passing the bong around. And they hand me the bong, and I'm telling them how Jesus set me free, I don't get high anymore. And immediately as I grabbed the bong, my finger went right over the hit hole, and my face went right down on the bong. And then I went, well, I don't, yeah, I don't do this anymore. And I passed it on to the guy to the right side, and I realized I can't keep doing that because I'm this far from falling into that, you know. And I had to guard myself. I could still be with them, but I had to guard my connection with them. I had to limit the amount of time that I could spend with them because they were pulling me back down because it was just so easy. They were like an old pair of blue jeans. They were like a good pair of cowboy boots. You just, your foot fits in there so, so perfectly. And, so, and I knew God was trying to transform me into something new, into something better than what I was. You say, well, do you think you're better than them? I'm better now than I, than I was, than all of us were then. Yeah. If you say, well, that sounds like you're a little haughty. Listen, if you think your God isn't trying to make you better, then what is he trying to make you? The same? Worse? Yes. We aspire to be better. Yes, I aspire for excellence. Do, am I ever going to be excellent? Probably not, but I'll be better. I'll be better, otherwise I'm a big idiot for just doing this at all. But I want to be better. No one goes into the gym and says, what are you lifting these weights for? Just trying to stay the same. <laughs> Not how it works. You go in there, you just want a little bit more strength. You just want a little bit more definition in your, in your muscles. You just want to be able to see your belt buckle. Whatever it is, your goal is, you know, you have a goal. Whatever your goal is, you know, I'd like to know if I have shoes on or not. Whatever it is, you'd like, you, you, you just, you, whatever your goal is, but you don't want to stay the same. How long will you work out if your goal is to stay the same? Well, if I stay the same, I work out, and I stay the same, and I don't work out, then I might as well not work out, right? Right? Now, I know some of us, when we get on diets, we, we work out so that we can eat the same, right? So that we'll kind of... Balance it all out. That doesn't work, right? Anybody who's been on a diet knows that you can't go eat three beef sandwiches and then run a mile. That doesn't work. You still ate three beef sandwiches, you know. Your whole body. Anyway, so all that. How, this, how am I talking about this with the Holy Spirit? This is the topic. I got lost in beef sandwich. That's where I haven't. It's around that time, isn't it? So, so all I'm saying there is that, that understanding the Holy Spirit and the way He works in our life, He wants to move us on to take steps, baby steps sometimes, sometimes giant steps, but we're moving steps forward. He's, we're heading a different direction. We have a different vision. We are now obsessed with the kingdom of God. I want to see miracles. I want to see God change lives. I, I care more about that than whether I look good or whether I smell good. God knows I don't smell good right now. I, 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 I care more about that than anything else. Uh, and so, so I'm okay with that. It, it's, it's okay. We have to get okay with it. If we want to be approved of by everyone around, of, around us, if we, we want to live our life like man-pleasers, we're never going to please anybody, least of all Jesus. 
And secondly, we'll, we'll not please ourselves. Because we'll always know that God called... Holy means set apart for a specific purpose. If you have a holy bowl, that bowl is set apart for a, a purpose that's night. My wife has, a, has a, a wooden bowl that we bought when we were in Costa Rica, I think. And it's only for salad. It's wooden, but, it, and it, but it's a really nice one. It's all sanded on the inside. I don't know. Some guy really put some time into this. And so we bought it when we were in Costa Rica, brought it back. I get yelled at every time I use that for anything except salad. It's a salad bowl, dummy. That's what she says. It's not for your car keys, not where you set your hats. It's certainly not for whisking eggs in there. It's a wooden salad bowl. We're bit, we have the gospel, this glorious thing, and we use it for a bedpan, for to, you know, to handle other stuff. God wants us to recognize that our lives are set apart as this holy person. Amen. You say, well, that seems like it's a lot of work. Yep. It is. First of all, you have to learn to get along with the most unlikable character in the world. You. There are other people in this church who think you're nice. Think that you deserve to be saved and they don't deserve to be saved. There are people in this church that think that you never wrestle with sin. And no matter how... This is one thing I learned as a pastor. I tell people, no, I, I wrestle with sin like you do. Yeah, sure you do, pastor. They don't want to believe that. I, no, I, I, I wrestle with sin... I've, I say it from the pulpit. I lust. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Once every five years, right, Pastor? People don't want to hear that. Because they recognize it's work for all of us. Now, I'm not saved by my work. I'm saved by grace. But because he was so gracious to save me, i got to bust a sweat. I have to bust a sweat. Because he's been that good to me. He's been that good to me. There's a reason. There's a reason why I'm still alive. Every day, I have to think about that. Why are we still up sucking air when our friends are dead? It's not because we made less mistakes. God has a purpose. Step into the purpose. How does that happen? Open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. Everything, Lord. Everything. My grandma, when we would go to the, we would go to the Chinese, take her out to the Chinese buffet. My wife and I would take her out to the Chinese buffet, you know. And we would go in there and she'd order couple things for us we'd eat and then at the end of the meal she would now she lived with my folks you need to know she lived with my folks and she had really nothing she had nothing that she ever needed but at the end of the meal all the sugar packets 
into the purse, right? All the sugar packets. Extra chopsticks for what? We don't know. In their purse, you know? <laughs> anything we, anything. And every, if it wasn't nailed down on the table, it went in Granny's purse. You know, that, that's the way it was. She'd take everything, we'll go in there, and we'd be so embarrassed. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. <laughs> How big of a tip do I have to leave, you know, to cover all this, you know? And just embarrassed, she would take everything. Grandma, you can't take the salt and pepper shaker. You pay for it. No, you don't. No, you don't pay for the salt and pepper shaker. Somebody else pays for that. That's the way we have to be in the spirit. Whatever you have for me, Lord. Chopsticks, I want them. Sugar packets, I want them. Whatever you got for me. Gifts of the spirit, I want them, Lord. You want me to speak in weird languages and make a fool of myself in front of people? I'm on it. What, I, what do you got for me? I want everything that you have for me. I am completely and totally yours. I am your Muppet. You can do whatever with me whatever you want. That's where you have to be. You have to be in that place. I want everything. As long as we are holding out and resisting what he's doing in our life, then we have internal fighting. Right? That's why people come and then they don't come for a while and then they come back and then they don't come. There's this internal fight. And it's just give in to Jesus. The church must be filled with the Spirit. Obsessed with the Kingdom of God. Walking in faith and believing God for great things in the future. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.